0: What are the barriers to automation? Mezzanines are on the rise. And trends in nearshoring. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by PERC, the Propane Education Research Council. Propane is the safe, reliable energy for material handling. Propane-powered forklifts can improve air quality inside your facilities for a healthier, more productive workforce. See how propane can give your productivity a boost at propane.com slash forklifts. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, With the current shortage of labor, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, many companies are rushing to fill the gaps in their distribution operations with automated systems. But how do they get started, and what are the barriers to achieving their goals with automation? To address those questions, here is Ben with
1: today's guest. Ben? Companies across America are struggling with understaffing, low unemployment rates, and supply chain bottlenecks. And one of the crucial tools to deal with those hurdles and keep producing is material handling automation of course that term covers a lot of ground conveyors to robotic arms and self-driving lift trucks and mobile robots it also covers a big variety of inventory amounts everything from piece picking to cases to pallets but while those technologies can certainly solve the challenges we're talking about here major barriers to actually adopting the automation still exist. Here to talk about some of those barriers and some possible solutions is our guest today, Craig Malloy, who is the CEO of Vecna Robotics. Welcome, Craig.
2: Thanks, Ben. Uh, great to be here with you, with you today.
1: Yeah. Uh, Craig, first, maybe you could give us a quick profile of Vecna just to help our listeners understand exactly how the company fits into this sector.
2: Sure, Vecna um, Beckner, Beckner Robotics, uh, we're one of the leading providers uh, for supply chain autonomy for pallet sized loads in, in warehousing and manufacturing. And what that means more on a more practical basis as we provide, uh, we, we, we build, uh, develop self-driving, um, autonomous forklift vehicles, um, you know, to move pallets around warehousing and manufacturing. So self, self, self-driving robotic forklift trucks and tuggers for use in warehousing and manufacturing, and when we say pallet size loads, we really think about 500 to 10,000 pounds. It's, most things are are on a pallet, but uh, again, have odd-shaped loads uh, that we pull on uh, on parts behind tuggers for for automotive or for uh, you know retail stores with uh, retail distribution centers that pull uh, couches and rugs and other odd-shaped, odd, shaped, you know, odd shape heavy things around uh, around warehouses. So that, that's that's uh, that's what we do. Pretty pretty exciting field. You know, in a, in a, in a workflow that really hasn't uh, changed in more than a hundred years. People sitting on forklift trucks, humans sitting on forklift trucks, picking up pallets. It's the invention, invention of of forklift truck in uh, in, in nineteen eighteen. So it's, uh, it's an industry that's really ripe for automation and starting to starting this inevitable shift to uh, shift to autonomy.
1: Amazing to think of it as not having changed for a hundred years like that. Um, yeah, it's that, crazy, and then, yeah. <laughs> it really has. Uh, And so I know that there's growing demand uh, for automation, as you say, in in, in that 100-year-old process. Um, And your your company um, itself recently shared some market research showing that uh, 85% of the market is deploying warehouse automation uh, in the next 12 months, uh, year coming up here. Um, Can you tell us a little more about that research and did you see any sort of certain specific trends about the types of automation involved in that growth?
2: Yeah, this was a pretty a uh, pretty um, thorough survey we did with uh, not only our customers but prospective customers and you know, uh, uh, people in our you know our, 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 our basically our customer uh, you know our available market of customer base. And what uh, we found was customers are really struggling with what you mentioned at the beginning of the introduction here around uh, uh, labor availability and, and wage inflation, and they're trying to figure out a way figure out ways to get better it's really becoming a business continuity issue. And that's what we talk about with, with, more than often what we talk about with customers It's not, how do I take people out of my operation to save money? It's, oh my gosh, I can't hire enough people to run my manufacturing facility. I can't hire enough people to run my warehousing facility and, and serve uh, and serve my customers. We actually recently had a, had a, um, a customer come in and say, uh, you know, I'm okay today, but, uh, Tesla is building a giant, uh, battery factory. Um, you know, in conjunction with Samsung two miles down the road and it's going to be open in 18 months. And I'm afraid they're going to take all my people. So I've got, you know, I've got to start to work on uh, implementing some level of automation today to kind of take the edge off of that. It's not really going away. I was just reading the news this morning and I got up and uh, was having, having some coffee early and I noticed uh, an article in, uh, in, uh, Bloomberg, and I'm sure it's all over the, the rest of the news uh, sources today that uh, unexpectedly high uh, level of job openings in the United States for for April that was reported today. 10 million job openings um, in uh, you know in April that um, and, and one of the uh, one of the sectors that they highlighted was you know at the top of the list for for job openings was was warehousing. So you know it's just not it's not not going away anytime soon.
1: Yeah, that, that's some striking stats right there. So the, the demand is definitely there. Uh, but at the same time, I know you've also found that many companies are reluctant to invest in the supply chain transformation we're talking about and the automation that can really be a strong solution. Um, are you getting a sense for any sort of the reasons for that reluctance? Sure.
2: A lot of it is, uh, gosh, I don't really know anything about it. This seems, really, this seems really scary. Are these robots safe? Are they productive? Are they... Uh, you know the economically uh, are they economically viable will my uh, will my workforce adopt them? Um, you know what's the do I have to uh, you know will this cost me uh, you know ten million dollars to get into the game? Well, what is so I think there's just a it's still very early days. Uh, it's a bit, a bit of an educational sale, uh, educational discussion with uh, with customers on on uh, showing them the path we we do this. Um, uh this this uh, webinar series through our marketing department called uh, no bot to robot where we talk about how <laughs> how customers can uh how customers can you know can easily and safely uh embark on this journey to automation without uh you know without disrupting their operations or breaking the bank or uh, you know making a making a big making a big mistake think about the types of customers or the customers who, who have uh, adopted these automated vehicles and so i'm really talking kind of my about about amrs today mobile robots and other types of automation you know ro- robotic arms which have been in use for, for decades and uh, you know automated storage and retrieval systems uh, you know the big fixed infrastructure grids that move uh, you know move boxes and pallets around but kind of our our, our market our, our area of expertise is, is autonomous mobile autonomous mobile robots um, and um, yeah, so there's just you, most of our most of the customers that, have, that come to us, particularly in the warehousing space, this is their first foray um, into autonomous mobile robots. Almost no warehousing uses the, uses these types of vehicles today. very, very, very tiny percentage. in, auto, in automotive in automotive like manufacturing, kind of heavy manufacturing there, there is, there's a little bit more history of um you know kind of gen one what we used to call automatic, uh, uh, automated guided vehicles that are following a track on the fo- floor rather than a autonomous mobile robot which is more like a self-driving car technology um, so it's all it's it's very new for customers um, they know they need to do it they know that they need to learn about it sometimes it's driven by um you know a corporate uh, digital transformation team um I mean, it, but sometimes it's driven by the site uh, themselves, you know, the general manager of the of the opera of the operations, uh, where it's like, I got, gosh, I can't hire enough people to to, to fulfill the mission of my, my my operational site. I've got to get some help.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I like that. No bot to robot, but it's it, it's really no accurate. Robot, yeah. yeah, it's really accurate. Though yeah. it sounds like if, if so many of your customers um, are are coming from from this with their first foray into the automation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah so in in getting over that hurdle um of course as, as you say that there are there are various um concerns um one of the basic requirements for any business investment um and and you mentioned it, it can cost millions of dollars is r o i the return on that automation um, yeah. is there are some best tips and tricks that logistics operations can get that r o i out of adopting robotics particularly into their workflows
2: yeah so the the, the the sequence of events on the conversations is usually gosh i can't hire i can't hire people to run my operation i've got to get some automation so uh, you know we'll have the conversation talk to them how, about how about how, how that works and then you know we'll make a uh, give them a quote on a proposal it could be you know a single vehicle or, or three to, you know three vehicles or five vehicles we start very very small with us there's no very there's no fixed infrastructure you know it's relatively low cost low risk um and then you know once it gets through the you know into the uh, the the purchasing process at the you know at the, at the customer site obviously they need to do some financial analysis and, a, and an ROI calculation and, and it's a bit of a give and take i think if you look at the um, you know the full cost of you know, fully burdened employees plus um turnover costs you know recruiting costs the uh, sign-on bonus vacation sick time absenteeism damage injury uh, brakes I mean all of those things that you, that, that add up to um, um, you know and then, and then the cost of the, the manual vehicle itself you know if you kind of include all of the soft costs um, you know it's a it's a pretty uh, a pretty easy calculation, and I'll, give you an, I'll give you an example. Um, most of our customers operate in very large ware. So, you know, for us, where a customer can maximize their ROI, this is kind of our target market where we can, where we're very confident we give a great ROI to customers. Is if the customer has a large facility? It's called it 300,000 square feet or more. Um, because long, you know, longer distances, longer travel, you get more, you know, better utilization out of the out of the vehicles um you run uh, at least two shifts of labor bet, better three or four shifts four shifts would be 24/7. Um, and many of the large you know large, large distribution centers that we work with you know have three or four shift operations. and you have a lot of heavy things to move around either pallets or you know or, or heavy odd sh- odd shaped objects that could hold on cards. So if you satisfy those requirements, big facility, multiple shifts of labor and uh, lots of heavy stuff to move around. We are very, very confident we can give you a a great ROI. Uh, one of them, one of our customers is a, a large retail chain amongst runs uh you know fourteen major distribution centers around the country and lots of small lots of smaller ones. And they um, they run three three shifts of labor and then kind of their fully burdened cost on an employee, including health insurance, et cetera, et cetera, like sixty-five thousand dollars a year. So that's that's thirty-two dollars an hour, which is not that not that crazy. Um, but at uh, sixty five thousand dollars a year. So you're spending that customer is spending almost two hundred thousand dollars per year to pay three people, you know, ship one, two, three, to drive one forklift truck and move pallets around hmm.
1: the warehouse. yeah
2: And then uh, and then there's a you you gotta buy a thirty thirty-five thousand dollar forklift and eight thousand dollars of maintenance. Um so and, and most customers look at this as a you know kind of a five-year total cost of ownership you're into that, you know, you're into that almost a million dollars.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, you add all that up in over five years. So it's kind of having that conversation with the customer, you know, kind of uh, coaching them, helping them understand all the, all the soft costs around uh, around this ROI calculation.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point about it. It, it, it has a fix in fit into the context of, of the whole greater um, concept of, of the operations in the building and, and some of those yeah. are, are hardware on the robot and some of them are soft costs that are surrounding it. Um, Craig, I really appreciate that. I've, I've learned a lot from our conversation and, um, and we're glad that you were able to come on the uh, podcast today.
2: Well, thank you very much. Love, uh, love talking about uh, warehouse automation. It's just a <laughs> super exciting time to be
1: in this business. Great. Well, it looks like we're going to be uh, both of us very busy in these coming years, so we'd love to have you back. <laughs> For, sure.
2: For sure. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, Our guest today has been Craig Malloy, who's the CEO of Vecna Robotics. Thank you, Craig and
0: Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you're working on a story for this month's issue of DC Velocity about how warehouses and distribution centers are making some physical changes within their infrastructures. Can you share what you're writing about?
3: Absolutely, Dave. Happy to. Yeah, so as you say, this is a story that uh, appear will appear in DC Velocity's June issue. I did some research on demand for mezzanines and work platforms, which many in the industry say is growing for a variety of reasons. Now, these are products that haven't changed much in the past 10 or 20 years, but they nevertheless remain a warehouse and distribution center staple. And we're talking about those industrial platforms that can hold either equipment or people, and they primarily function as a way to maximize space in a facility. It turns out that as warehouses become more automated, demand is on the rise for steel support structures like these that can be integrated with sort of the latest and greatest material handling technologies.
0: Victoria, what's driving that demand? Is it because of a lack of available warehouse space or is it just a proliferation of different kinds of automation that we're seeing in the warehouses today?
3: Well, it's both according to the experts I spoke to, which include executives from platform manufacturers such as WILDECK and Nucor Warehouse Systems. Uh, when you add automation to an already cramped space, platforms can help open up that space, providing workspace above the equipment or creating space below where workers can perform picking tasks uh, For one, as one example. And in larger warehouses, where companies may be implementing an even wider array of automation, many are finding that they need more and larger platforms to do the same thing. Um, as with and many of the recent industry trends that we've been tracking, this is also being driven by e-commerce. Uh, Platforms are especially helpful in e-commerce environments where uh, companies are storing more products, processing orders at a higher rate, uh, and really striving to get packages out the door faster than ever before. You'll commonly see these uh, structures in large facilities that have multi-level pick zones for e-commerce, as one example. Platforms are also used to provide access to automation equipment for things like maintenance, troubleshooting, and safety You see this often in manufacturing environments, and the same principle applies in warehousing. So the more we see this technology and automation in play in the warehouse, the greater the need for structures that help employees uh, gain access to it. My story also includes examples of how platforms are being used in conjunction with things like autonomous mobile robots or AMRs, uh, which is becoming increasingly common as well. Um, And as we said at the beginning, anyone interested in learning more about this can turn to our June print or digital editions. And I should say the story was also posted to DC Velocity earlier this week.
0: So we look forward to reading that full story. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you. And Ben, you wrote this week about some new research into near-shoring trends What can you tell us?
1: Exactly. Uh, This is one of the bigger themes that we've been covering in recent months, uh, which is an effort by companies to try to trim down all the disruption in their supply chains by nearshoring, uh, which, of course, is an alternative to the offshoring trend that we'd seen in past decades, where U.S. companies sent a lot of their production overseas, particularly to China, which has great strengths in productivity and efficiency and labor costs. But... China has been looking less attractive lately just because of recent geopolitical events, uh, trade tariffs, Russia's war on Ukraine, uh, big spikes in container shipping rates during the pandemic. So some analysts have been tracking an uptick where companies are sourcing to countries from that region. Um, Other alternatives also in Asia, um, they see Vietnam, Cambodia, Singapore, for example. But of course, we have a closer option right on our doorstep for US companies, and that's Mexico. So this week we saw some fresh data from 4 Kites, which provides supply chain visibility data to its clients. And they said that shipment volumes from Mexico to the US are up 20%, while dwell times for those um, cargo shipments are actually down 25%, compared to the same levels from two years ago. Uh, that theme is particularly pronounced in the food and beverage and the automotive sectors, they said.
0: Ben, that sounds like a big swing in trade. Do we know which logistic providers will be affected the
1: most? Uh, we don't know yet because this is the start or really the continuation of a long term trend. Uh, Glenn Kepke, who's general manager of network collaboration at Forkites, said, While manufacturing and sourcing from Mexico has been an option for companies for decades, evolving global competition and factors such as infrastructure, talent, duties, freight costs, and raw material supplier locations continually influence the decision of where to produce the products. Uh, Specifically, Forkites had been tracking things in food and beverage uh, that are often shipped northbound like limes and avocados and tomatoes, Um, That's, of course, not so much about production, although agriculture has productivity. Uh, But automobiles, really, um, they're tracking particularly U.S. companies that ship car components south, produce the cars in Mexico, and then ship the completed cars back north. Uh, So one transportation provider would seem to be a possible beneficiary of all this. Uh, That's the new combination of the Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern railroads. Mm -hmm. They finalized um, an enormous merger in April. Uh, The idea for them to do that was to create a network that spanned Canada, the US, and Mexico. So it sounds like a natural match, but Kepke cautioned that the payoff for Canadian Pacific, Kansas City, Southern um, would not be immediate. Uh, He pointed out that investments and infrastructure improvements really take time to trigger greater network improvements for uh, total capacity throughput.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It it will be interesting to watch the return of manufacturing to North America. And of course, we'll be here to report on it. We will. It'll be interesting to see. Thank you, Ben. We encourage listeners to go to DCVelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links and the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Craig Malloy of Vecna Robotics for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters. at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. We have a new eight-part series releasing weekly on transportation tech. It starts this Tuesday. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fastlane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by PERC, the Propane Education Research Council. Propane is the safe, reliable energy for material handling. Propane-powered forklifts can improve air quality inside your facilities for a healthier, more productive workforce. See how propane can give your productivity a boost at propane.com forklifts. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.